Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles <coughs> and go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 11 to 22. In Ephesians chapter 2, and as you're turning there, maybe I hope you've been taking up the challenge that I had that you'd be reading through the book of Ephesians while we're in the study of the book of Ephesians, that, that every day you just sort of grab a chapter and in the week you'd have the book of Ephesians done and you start again just to really have it sink deep into your heart and your soul and your mind. But maybe if you were reading ahead, you came to these verses, verse 11 to 22, and maybe you did the same thing I did. I remember the first time I read these verses and my response was, Huh? These are, it's hard verses. And if, you find, if you're finding as you're reading through Ephesians, man, some of this is difficult to, to wrestle with. Some of this I, I don't fully understand as I read through it the first time. Here's some encouragement for you. Do you know that the apostle Peter, like one of Jesus' disciples, in 2 Peter 3.16, here he said, Paul's super confusing, right? So you're in, you're in good company. If you're reading sometimes, you're like, man, I don't always understand this. It's, it's so good, though, to slow down, to dig deep, to say, man, there's life in this, though. I want to dig deep and find the gold of, the, of God's word that he has for us. And so this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. And before I get there, I've been thinking a lot about how, how weird church is. And here's what I mean by that. Not just how weird our church is, although that's true too, right? Someone said this to me. They said, church is the only place they know of where, where people of every generation stand together and sing the same song. But think about it, right? Where you've got, you've got kids, you've got teenagers, you've got adults, you've got seniors, and we're all together singing the same songs. How weird is that? Right? There's this, this unity, there's this, there's this coming together that happens in a church, in, in, a, in a culture that's so divided. But, but not just that, even as we come in here, we're, we may be unified in Christ, but there's a lot of different opinions that, that, that come into a church on a Sunday morning. Am I right? Let me, let me test it out. You ready? So, so raise of hands. We're going we're gonna to test this out here, okay? Coke versus Pepsi. Who's Coke people in the, in the house, all right? Okay, who's Pepsi people in the house? Okay, so divide it. How do we do this? All right, here's another one. Ready, ready? Dog people, cat people. Dog people, raise your hand. All right, the, the weird people, you raise your hand now, okay? <laughs> yes! <laughs> I have three cats in my home, I'm ashamed to admit. <laughs> All right, how, how about this one? Is it, is it GIF or GIF, all right? We're gonna divide the church on this one, all right? Who, who's GIF? Who, who's wrong? Okay, right, okay, so there are so, now here's the thing, those are funny things that can divide us. What if I use some other topics? I mean, I could really make this a very uncomfortable morning for us, couldn't I? So far in this series, we've seen how the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the reality that, that God chose to pour his love out on us. And, and even though our, our sin separates us from God, God makes a way as Jesus comes and lives the perfect life, dies in our place, a substitutionary death where we should have died. He dies, taking on the sin of the world that he became sin for us. He makes a way for us to be saved, to be, to be adopted into his family. And, and, and we've seen how that completely changes us. Our whole purpose changes now. Our whole identity changes. And, and in chapter one, you, you see it from this big cosmic view. And then, then Paul, as he's writing this letter to this church in Ephesus, you see him get even, even more uh, close into, here's what it means to you personally. This morning, we're gonna see it from a community view. That the, the gospel isn't just about individuals being saved, as great as that is. The gospel is also this community-creating event. 
It doesn't just change us as people. It changes us as a church family. There's this, this unity created in the gospel that, that even in the midst of all the differences we may have, And not even just the silly differences of dog people or cat people. And I'm talking like deep differences we may have, deep convictions we may hold differently. The, the cross of Christ breaks down the deepest divisions of hostility to create a whole new family. That, that, that Jesus brings peace, real peace. That in the church, as we gather here this morning, as Harvest, as we gather here, we're something so much greater than just a, a social club, something so much better than just, hey, we get together because we all like the certain thing, and so we form this club together. No, no, we gather together with something so much deeper happening, something so much more substantial going on. Look at verse 11 of, of chapter 2. Paul starts out, he says, therefore... Now, when you see that word, it's, it's something is going on there. He's saying, therefore. So, so he's saying, hey, hey, listen, uh, everything I've just unpacked with the gospel, all the things that I've talked about as far as what the gospel does and what the gospel is about, I, I'm now about to jump into something here, but Paul's not saying, okay, now that I've got that dealt with, let's go into something totally different. Let's talk about church. No, this is all intimately tied together. The, the whole first half of chapter two, as he's been unpacking where there's, there's brokenness and deadness and sin and separation that God has made a way for there to be life and wholeness. And now seeing how that gospel changes us with God vertically, he's saying it also changes us horizontally. The vertical always bends horizontal. In fact, let, let me just say this right off the start. Christianity is not a, it's just Jesus and me kind of thing. Never has been. It's not, a, I'll just stay home alone. I don't need church. I can just do my own thing with me and, and, and me and Jesus will be great. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. In fact, I'd say this with all the love I can. I know that people watch online and I love that people watch online who can't get to church. I think that's a great, a great uh, way that we can minister to people. But if, if, if you're watching online, I'd say there's a love. If you're watching online because you just don't want to come to church because you're like, yeah, I can do this all on my own. I'd say, listen, listen, you can't. You can't. That's not the purpose of the gospel. Listen, the church needs you. You need the church. We're saved into a family. All over scripture you see this, not saved for a personal salvation, but saved together to form together that, that changed this way and the power of the gospel of me being changed. I, I go alone to the cross for sure, but I come away together with a family. But here's where the problem exists. If you're taking notes, here's our first, por our first point. There is a problem. The problem is this, we're separated. There is a separation. If I look at verse 11, it says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, what's this all about? Here's where it gets confused. Like, what, what, what's he talking about here? The church in Ephesus that this letter is going out to made up mostly of Gentile believers, non-Jews. And Paul's saying, hey, hey, remember, you Gentiles, you who were called the uncircumcision by the, by, you were called the uncircumcised by the circumcised. Okay, if you don't, if you don't understand what that's saying, for a Jew, one of the clear marks that they were, they were a part of God's covenant people was that every dude who was Jewish was circumcised. And those on the outside, the Gentiles, they would get this derogatory name from the Jews, you're called the uncircumcised. 
You take the name to its fuller extent. You're, you uncircumcised heathen. Like that, that's kind of where that would come from. And the, the hostility then between Jews and Gentiles in, in this context here, I mean, it's beyond anything we could ever imagine. We, we can picture kind of the, 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 the people in our culture who are separated. It doesn't come close to what the centuries and centuries of this division would be. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Gentiles hated the Jews. In Genesis 12, God, when he chose Abraham and he said, hey, hey you're going to be my chosen people. You're, you're going to have the law. You're going to have the prophets. You're going to have the blessings of God. And the Gentiles, look at verse 12. Remember that you were at time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. As a Gentile, separated. You, you didn't have the prophets. You didn't have the law. You had no idea of God's covenant and his promises and his grace, so, so without hope. Now, here's the thing, though. When God told Abraham, hey, I'm going to make for you a people, my people, the purpose of that, when you read in Genesis, the purpose was so that you'd be a blessing to the nations, that you would take this good gift I'm giving to you, the law and the prophets and my blessing, that you would use that to be a light to the nations, to draw them to the goodness and the grace and the steadfast love of God, but it didn't work out that way. Instead, God's chosen people in pride, they took it, this is our position, this is our status. And they hated the Gentiles. There was a saying that, that God only made Gentiles as more kindling for hell. That's the hatred. They had an unwritten rule that if a, a Gentile mom in, in delivering a baby, if she was in trouble delivering the baby, that a Jewish person was told, don't help her deliver that baby because you'll just bring another Gentile into the world. They hated them. There was this, this hatred between the hostility between the two. Now, now, the good news as we read this, the good news is how us today sitting here in 2023, we can say, man, we've so evolved past that kind of hostility. Yeah, that's sarcasm if you didn't catch that, right? And we live in such a polarized culture today, don't we? So, so divided in so many ways. Politically divided. You just flip on a news channel today. Flip on any news. Pick whatever side of the political spectrum you want to choose. Flip on that news channel. And, and, and here's a drinking game that even Christians can play. All right? Anytime they say something nice about the other side or something good, you take a drink. You'll never get drunk because they'll never say anything. Right? And families now divide over, over politics. What party you support? Even in the church. The Christians are making dividing lines on that. Oh, you voted liberal? Oh, you voted NDP? Oh, you voted conservative? Yeah, we can't, we can't do life together. We divide generationally too, do we not? I mean, think if you're a millennial, you feel it because you guys get slagged all the time, right? Just everyone, all the millennials, right? And the millennials give it right back. In fact, it was, it was um, one day I was out in the parking lot and I was getting something out of the, the, uh, uh, the car of one of our youth leaders and I went to shut the hatch back and I'm reaching up trying to shut it and he comes over and he goes, yeah, good job, boomer. And he presses the button so that it closes, right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, first of all, Gen X, the best generation, all right? <laughs> Secondly, you lazy millennial with all your fancy buttons, right? <laughs> You guys never would have survived with the rotary phones. Okay, we can be divided generationally, right? Generationally, right? We can be divided racially. 
I mean, think about how, how many decades have gone by since, since the civil rights movement and yet our nation to the South still so horribly divided by race. And listen, as Canadians, we aren't much better. The ugly sin of racism is still alive. And not to bring up old wounds, but then the whole COVID thing hit. Churches divided. Families literally divided. It doesn't take much to look around in our world and you can, you can find hostility and division where, where people are against people, nation against nation. And where's the hope in this? We were separated, alienated. Is there hope for us to be connected with God? We know there is. We know there's hope for that. Is there hope for connection horizontally? Look at verse 13. Here's a, a, a great but in the Bible. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The, the solution to hostility is not more education. We've tried that. The solution is not, we just need to be more advanced as a civilization. We've tried that. None of that has changed the hostility in our world. So here, what is the solution? Our second point is this. The solution is Jesus. The solution is Jesus. I mean, there's pride in every one of us. This, this hostility that, that Paul's talking about here, you, you can see where there's this kind of both is being described here. There's a hostility between us and God. And Jesus came and said, I'm making peace there. And that pride in us, it, it, it breeds this division, this hostility. And Paul's reminding the Gentiles, hey, those of you who were far off, you had no law, you had no prophets, you had no idea of what it meant to be a people of God. But then he says, and to the Jewish believers, those who were near, you both were lost. It's the grace of God in Christ Jesus that breaks down all of this pride, all of this hostility, because we're not just separated from each other. The Jews and the Gentiles weren't just separated from each other. Paul's saying, remember, you both outside of the grace of God were separated from God. Gentiles need grace. Jews need grace. It's not about your religious uh, 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 setup. It's not about your ethnic boundaries. What we all have in common, we all come in here. The one thing we have in common outside of Christ is we come in here as sinners. Rebellious sinners. But now Jesus. Saved saved as you trust in Christ. And, and Jesus then changes your, your actual identity, who you are. You have to understand that what we've been unpacking in this, this book so far is that idea that, that following Jesus is not just, oh, I'm gonna make him a part of my life. No, everything changes. Everything changes. It changes your hope. It changes your, your purpose. It changes your identity. It changes how you view the world. It changes how you view each other. When you meet Jesus, 
fact, it says right here, it says that, that the dividing wall of hostility is broken down in Jesus Christ. Now, if you are getting this letter for the first time as a Gentile in Ephesus and you are reading that this dividing wall of hostility has been broken down, your mind would actually go to a literal wall you can think of. A wall that divided Jews and Gentiles in the temple there was this wall nearly 10 feet tall that, that was in the temple. And, then, and on it, there was a sign that read this. It said this, any Gentile entering beyond this wall will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. Okay, so they clearly hadn't mastered this whole idea of seeker-sensitive church, right? So, so you walk in the temple as a Gentile, there is a wall that literally separates you from going further into the temple. I mean, in the Jewish mind, this wall separated the good from the bad. The clean from the unclean, the safe from the unsafe. And in Christ, these dividing walls are torn down. In Christ, there's only one category of people, sinners in need of grace. I mean, listen, when it comes to a holy, righteous God, the, there is one wall that all of us are on the outside of, outside of Christ. There are, there are no good people and bad people. There are, there are no winners and losers. There aren't people who have it together, people who don't. That's what really unites us is this. We were all bad, dead sinners, rebels, children of Satan, sons and daughters of disobedience, without God and without hope. But through Jesus' blood, by his sacrifice in our place, what happens? He takes the punishment we deserve. We are in now relation with God. That wall of hostility is broken and the wall between us is broken. We're brought near. I kind of look at it this way. Um, I was on a, a canoe trip and um, a storm had come up really quickly. And so what we did is those of us who were on the trip, we, we all got out of the water, off, off the river because it's lightning all around. We're standing on the side of the river. And as we're standing there, it's me and a few students that were kayaking. We, we were down in Arkansas and there were a group of guys there who, um, when you think guys from Arkansas, that was these guys, all right? They were self-proclaimed, not trying to be rude here, they were self-proclaimed rednecks. Like, like they had the, the rebel flag t-shirts, they had the beer and the cozies, like they crushed it, mullets, the whole deal, right? So the, we're standing on the side of the river with, the, it's us, uh, a group of Canadian students, uh, and then there's this, these Arkansas guys, and then there's this, this sweet um, African-American family that were there by the side of the river, this mom and dad and three kids, and, and we're all standing on the side of the river as the storm is passing over. And then what happens is out of nowhere, all of a sudden, as we're standing there kind of awkwardly just waiting for the storm to go by, no one's kind of talking, right? Lightning strikes a tree right behind me, like, like right there, like the loudest sound I've ever heard. It blows a tree up, like hair stands up, and there's this silence right after that. Because I think we're all thinking, I think we're all dead, right? When you realize you're not, when cheers go up, and instantly what happens? High five, everyone's high fiving each other, they're hugging each other, like, yes, we didn't die survival brings this unity. And, and listen, listen, on a cosmic scale, what we see here in Ephesians, what, what's the truth of the gospel is, is on a cosmic scale, we were all dead in sin, all of us. No one walks in here clean this morning. And Jesus, by his blood, gives us new life. All the things that would divide us now are gone. There's this celebration together of, man, that's who we were, but, but everything, nothing else matters now. My eternity is secure. We're together in this family who has new life together. Now, for the Jew and the Gentile here, the text here says that, that Christ fulfilled the law of commandments expressed in ordinances 
those things that used to culturally divide them. The Old Testament law where there was those, those things in the Old Testament law, those, those cultural laws, those, those, those ceremonial laws that were to show the Jewish people, hey, you're distinct from the rest of the nations. There were dietary laws and these, these outward restrictions and those ceremonial laws, all of them shadows pointing to the reality of the coming Messiah. And, and Jesus says, I've come to fulfill it all. So that all sinners can be brought together. Those who are far off and those who are near. Let, let, let me put that into a context we would understand. Maybe a context for church life. Maybe you're those who are near. You're, you, you were raised in church. Like, like you were basically born in church. You don't remember a time where you weren't in church. Immersed in church culture. You came to Jesus at a young age. Listen, listen. You still need Jesus. Don't be wooed into thinking that, that church culture saves you. I know there are people here who you'd, you'd be more like, as in church culture, you'd be like, man, I was the far off. Like I, I came in on a Sunday morning and, and by God's spirit, I don't know how it happened, but, but I was lit up and you gave your life to Christ and you're still figuring stuff out. You're still figuring out even cultural things. Like you're like, man, you guys keep talking with this guy, Paul. I have no idea who he is. Like, who is this guy? And, and what is an Ephesus? Like, I don't know. What is going on with that? Like, and, and, and so some of you, you, you absolutely crushed Bible sword drills. So when I say turn to your Bible, you're like, right? And others of you are like, what is a Bible sword drill, right? And you just thank God there's a table of contents in there. And the gospel says, listen, there are, there's, there's no pecking order. Everybody, from, from a prostitute to a pillar of the church, we all are sinners that come into this together, all equal before God, equally lost, and listen, in Christ, equally found. Any disunity in the church makes absolutely no gospel sense. Our identity in Christ becomes the most important thing about us. And, and if you've been on a mission trip, you probably get this. Where you go to a different culture, where you have nothing in common with the people you're going to help serve. I remember this when we were um, planning a church in Nicaragua. And the first time we went, there was a guy there who was the town drunk. And if you maybe heard me talk about this guy. His name's Poppy. Poppy, by a, a miracle, by the grace of God, gives his life to Christ. That very first Sunday, the church opens up. We go down a year later. And there's Poppy serving. Like he's joined the church. He's, he's all in. And, and I remember going there and seeing Poppy. Here's a guy, I have nothing in common with this guy. He's 20 years older than I am, speaks a different language, eats different food. He's a guy who struggled with addictions. He's raised his whole life on Ometepe Island. And yet when I saw him, we both hugged. There was a joy. There was a connection. Why? Because I have more in common with Poppy than with the person I bump into in Walmart who doesn't know Jesus. With Poppy, our hope is the same. Our identity is the same. The primary identity that, that we carry, if you're a Christ follower, your primary identity is a Christian first. I'm a Muskokan second, right? A Christian first. My politics are second. A Christian first. I'm a Gen Xer second. A Christian first. I'm a white guy second. It, it trumps them all. Verse 18, what's it say? Jesus created one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. One new mankind, one new identity, one new family, no longer divided. 
mean, if you think about how much easier it would have been for Paul as he's planting churches in the first century, it would have been so much easier for him to go, hey, let's plant Jewish churches and Gentile churches. Way easier. All the cultural things that that are gonna be hard for them, they're all separate. Okay, you guys do festivals that way. You guys eat food that way. You guys know bacon in your church, bacon in your church. We can do that, right? And you can split these two churches and things would go so much easier. All those differences, but but listen, listen, that kind of unity would have been so shallow. The gospel blows up any sort of shallow unity. Here at our church, we're not about uniformity where everybody's the same. It's about unity. We agree on what's most important, that it's all about Jesus. Listen, when you walk into a church that's floored by grace, that's floored by the gospel, you'll have a church filled with different races, different ages, different men and women, young and old, rich and poor, people who vote one way, people who vote another way, artists, accountants, business owners, doctors, teachers, peace officers, builders, housewives, like we're all here, that's us this big messy family that's harvest. And you can walk in and you can say, man, what would bring this together? Because it's not hobbies, it's not life stages, it's not socioeconomic place that we're all at. The answer is Jesus is alive and we're all very fired up about that. That's what unites us. The problem is we're separated. The solution is Jesus. Here's our last point this morning. The result is unity. The result is unity. You can see the transition again. Look at verse 19. So then. This is the result. So then. Verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You who are outside, you Gentiles who were aliens, who weren't a part of this in the past, now through Christ, you're brought in. He says, your fellow citizens. I love that. We're, we're, we're now God's people. Scripture would say that as Gentiles, we've been grafted into the vine. So this this whole new thing called God's people with the church, with the people have got all the benefits of of that citizenship, all the promises of that citizenship. I mean, think of it this way. If you're Canadian, because you're a Canadian citizen, you can go to the hospital and be taken care of. Why? Because you're a Canadian citizen. As a Christian, you, you can say, what it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all the promises of Christ are yes and amen for me too. Or 1 Peter 2.9, that you can say, I'm a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But I love it. It doesn't stop there. Look what it says. Not just citizens of heaven, as good as that is. It says, members of the household of God. You're not just guests in God's house. You're not just visiting. You, you are actually home. Being a guest in someone's house, I mean, that's pretty okay. That's, it's nice for a while, but, but we have rules on visitors, do we not? Like if you're a visitor in, in somebody's home, you got kind of different rules than family would have. There's a time limit for you, right? Love having you. It's time you can go home, right? As a guest, you, 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 don't, you don't have the, the same, same freedoms. You, 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 don't, you don't start going through people's cupboards as you're a guest. Now, my wife does that. If you have us over, she will go through your cupboards. She loves that, right? But typically, you don't do that. You, you don't... <laughs> just outed her. You, you, don't, you don't flake on the couch on somebody's house the same way you would at home, right? In the church, listen, we're not just guests, we're home. It says I'm of the household of God. I, I have special access. I'm not just visiting, this is home. Listen, this is my family. 
yeah, the world is tough. You, you go through your week, and man, it can be hard because the world's not my home. And don't you feel it some weeks? And you get an opportunity to, to come to a worship service where, where you can just, I don't have to put on, I don't have to pretend, I don't have to, I don't have to do anything. I can just come in because this is, this is my brothers and sisters. You, you go into your, your life group and it's like, man, I can just, I can just say, here's, here's what's going on. You come to youth and, and life in high school, man, it's so hard, it's so, it's so difficult. Then you, you come to a, a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night here and there's this, this, ah, it's my home. This is my family. Look at verse 20, it goes on. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Quickly, let, let me unpack what's going on here. It says the foundation is the uh, apostles and the prophets. Another way to say that is the foundation is the word of God. Th those are the ones who brought the word of God. It's why we have as one of our five priorities that we are a church that's centered on God's word. When you go to a life group, we're going to be digging into God's word. When you come on a Sunday, I'm gonna start every Sunday the same way. Why don't you grab a copy of God's word and turn to? I, I don't have any authority outside of this. A bunch of my ideas might get us fired up for a little bit, but it's the power of the word of God that's gonna change us. So how do we build unity here? How, how do we battle against the hostility of our world? We're, we're a people who are what? We're buried in God's word. If, if you're gonna have the mind of Jesus, if you're gonna have the heart of Jesus, we need to be near him. And it says that Christ is the actual cornerstone. He's the whole purpose. And so when we dig into the word, it's not just to, to learn a bunch of stuff, man. No, you're digging into the word because you say, man, I, I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna be close to Jesus. I wanna love Jesus. I wanna treasure Jesus. I wanna know Jesus. And if I'm not close to him, this isn't homework to read. Man, I'm more convinced than ever of my desperate need for Jesus every day. If I'm not near Jesus, man, my pride will consume me. My life will become all about me instead of being desperate for Jesus. The thing I need the most is Jesus. The, the thing my family needs in me the most is that I'm close to Jesus. The, the thing that our church needs, if you're looking, man, what do I, what do I need in a pastor? You need a pastor who is, loves Jesus. The text goes on to say, it says we're being joined together built together into church. That, and I, I want us to get this into our heart, into our head. The church is not a place, right? We know that, right? It's a people being built together. We're, we're a, a people placed in this group together, but we're not a building that's placed. It, it's why this, I mean, going to Israel is super cool. Like if you wanna, but, but that's not like, oh yeah, God's more at work there because I mean, I get right to the, the heart of where it's cool. I mean, you get to see, man, this is Sea Galilee. This is where Jesus was. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where he prayed the night before. He went on trial. Super cool, but listen, listen, you will find the same presence and power of God here in this dwelling. Why? Because God is present. Because he says, I, I dwell with my people. It's, it's not a place, it's a people gathered. This is just a building. This used to be a manufacturing building. There's nothing special about this. It's, it's, it's why when we met out in the parking lot, man, church was still amazing. 
Because we're gathered as people. It's, it's, why, it's why if we could, if we could all cram into your house on a Sunday morning and do church, it would still be church. It would still be amazing to gather. It's not a building, it's a place. Join together. And what do we do join together? We keep Jesus at the center. Jesus as our cornerstone. Joining together as God's people, that, that this is the major we major on. It's Jesus. Well, let's not make minors majors in our church. Let's not take things that shouldn't divide us and say, well, no, this is what I believe. This is what I, like I'm all for convictions. Do not get me wrong. I think convictions are so good, but we don't need to make every conviction a major conviction to break relationship over. In our church right here, there are people who have different views on alcohol, schooling, politics, worship music, things not worth dividing over. We tried as a church, even in the hard days of all that about the masks and mandates, it just wasn't worth dividing over. It's not. That's why we said over and over again, we don't really care what your view is on all the COVID stuff. We just want to keep the focus on Jesus. And I don't mean that you can't have a conviction. We're, we're a group of people here with so many different convictions and, I, and, I, and I, I love that a watching world can see a church gathered and say, man, how is it that you guys stand side by side? How is it that you guys do life together like you do when, when there's so much you don't agree on? Well, here's what we do agree on. We are sinners saved by grace. We're brothers and sisters. We, we can disagree, but we're not gonna fight. We're not gonna divide. We, we can even disagree about certain doctrines I don't know if you noticed this, but the last couple Sundays, I kind of preached, I guess I was just trying to preach what it said here, but I'm talking about predestination and God chose us. And I know in our church, not everybody's like down with that, right? And they're like, well, I don't know if, man, that whole Calvinism thing, I'm not sure I, I get. And here's the thing. People have disagreed about that doctrine for like 2,000 years, right? So, so we're not gonna, well, let's gather in a life group and let's argue about that. We'll figure it out. We won't, Right? <laughs> We can talk about it. We can struggle with it. We can wrestle with God's word. We, we can say, man, I wanna, I wanna know God's word more, but I'm not gonna break relationship over that. It's not wrong to have convictions, but when we elevate them to, to this point where, oh, I can't be in relationship with you unless we see eye to eye and you agree with, with these things. And Listen, there are majors. This is God's word. That's a major for us as a church, all right? It's, it's a non-negotiable. It's, it's hard to do relationship together when we don't have a, a common standard of truth where we say, man, I'm gonna follow what God calls me to. So that's a major for me, for us as a church. The, the person and work of Jesus Christ, that's a major. If, if you don't believe that Jesus was fully God, fully man, that he lived the perfect life, died in our place on the cross for our sin, rose again to defeat sin and death and Satan, that he's, he's reigning and ruling in heaven right now, that he's coming back for us. If you don't believe that, it's gonna be a stumbling block for us to do life together because we would hold worshiping Jesus as a major. But let's be so sure we don't make minor things majors. And I'm so blessed to have so many friends and friends that differ on a lot of things, friends that differ on how to, how, what you do for school, for your kids, differ on politics, differ on parenting, differ on doctrine. And, and I love that we can talk about that stuff. We can even kind of argue about that stuff, right? We can kid each other about that stuff. And we don't always come to agreement. And listen, it doesn't matter. We can still be fiercely committed to each other. 
because those things don't overcome what Christ has done for us. And, and listen, as we love the Lord together, as we're, we're trying to honor him together, as we're seeking this unity in Christ, I'm not gonna allow secondary things to dent my relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Because here's the reality of this text here. If Jesus can bring peace to the most separated group in history, Jew and Gentile in the first century, if he could do that, listen, he can unite us. When we see that it's our sin that alienates us from God and, and recognize that that same sin is what does that to each other, that we need grace for this vertical relationship and I need just as much grace for this horizontal relationship. We need grace. This is why church can be so hard. This is why marriage can be hard. This is why, why friendships can be hard because we need grace to invade those. My sin, your sin, infects every relationship you have. So every relationship needs grace. Outside of grace, our sin and our pride, listen, it'll cause us to treat people as either vehicles or obstacles. Here's what I mean by that. That, that someone's gonna be a vehicle because you're going to help me get what I need. I have these needs and if you can help me, you're going to do that. You're a vehicle for me. Or, or if you're in the way of me getting what I need, you're an obstacle in my life. But listen, when we get these verses deeply rooted into our hearts, when we begin to see this, we begin to see, man, everything I need I have in Jesus. I've been forgiven. I've been brought near. I've been adopted into the family. I've been given a new citizenship. This means this. Here's what it means. Ready? I don't need you. That sounds cold, but it's not. Listen, listen. When we've been brought near to God in Christ, we don't have to put the weight of our souls on anyone else. So that means this. You're no longer a vehicle or an obstacle. We can freely just love each other. When we put a person in that place of, I need you to supply my identity. I need you to supply my hope. I need you to give me my purpose. We're forgetting that we have all of that in Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done this before. I've, I'm going to admit something. I've done this. I've actually been looking for my phone under my bed with the flashlight of my phone. Anybody done that before? <laughs> right? Listen, the gospel is God shouting this. You already have the phone in your hands. What are you looking for? Everything we need, everything we, we, we need. God said, I've, I've given it all to you in Christ. So now, now just freely love each other. Now, now I can love you instead of need you or use you. Now, now my happiness isn't dependent on getting something from you so I can give my life to you. I, I don't need to fight to be right because I have the approval of God. as the worship team comes up as we wrap up this morning, here's what I hope you see clearly from this text here that, that, that the gospel creates this culture of grace. As we remember that the, for those who, who were near, for those who were far off, we remember where we came from. We remember sinners saved by grace. This place then becomes a place full of grace, full of patience, full of, full of forgiveness, full of kindness, full of humility, full of tenderness, where, where we have compassion. We don't, we don't have to compete. Where there's reconciliation as opposed to resentment. And Jesus says this, the world watching will know, will know the reality of grace when they see that kind of unity. 
The early church blew up their culture of their day. Why? Because they blew up all the divisions that culture said they needed to have. And they gather together, rich and poor, all nationalities, all types of people, all ages, all gathered in true community. And listen, we live in such a divided world right now. I know you feel it. Man, I sure do, but here's my hope. Here's my hope. A divided world is such fertile ground for the church to be so different. And I think the soil is so ripe for us to get this right. That a hostile world is, is looking in, and, and, and isn't this exactly what a hostile world needs and desperately wants? The message of Jesus. Where our world is told, you are created by God. That your life has intrinsic value. That in Christ, you are known and you're loved. I mean, it's only in the gospel that we have this answer for the reality of the brokenness we see in our lives, the brokenness we see in our world. And you can't turn on the news and not see the brokenness of sin. And listen, listen, as Christ followers, we say, we, we know the answer to that. God didn't leave us in that sin. Jesus came that we could be reconciled to God and to each other, that we have a future joy that then invades our today. That Listen, this is what everyone is looking for. But this gospel is only going to be a light in our culture when we choose to live out this gospel together. If, if we fight and divide over non-essentials, if, 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 if we hold on to bitterness, if we display hostility on our social media, in our relationships, we're minimizing the very gospel that we hold to. So you stand with me as we close off this morning. Before we sing, I, I want to get you to, to bow your heads with me. And just right now where you're at, with your head bowed, I, I want to ask you this question. Is there hostility in your heart this morning? Maybe it's an individual. Maybe it's a certain group of people. That right now, you'd, you'd be able to ask this, if Jesus were interacting with that person, how would he interact with them? Would he shake his fist at them? Would he refuse forgiveness? Or would he love, would he serve, would he be quick to forgive? Maybe you ask yourself this question as well. Are the things in your life that, that are minors that you've made majors and the Holy Spirit might be revealing to you, maybe those aren't exactly things I need to divide over. Are there relationships that need to be restored? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the hard call of this text. I thank you for the testimony of, of, of in the first century of Jews and Gentiles in the early church that could come together and could love each other to move past convictions and differences to shine a light for your kingdom. God, we want to do the same here. God, would you help us? Would you do the miraculous work of grace in the relationships in this church, that we be a church that's defined by grace, that's defined by our love for you, Jesus, and our love for each other.
so that the world would know that, Jesus, you are the hope of the world. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.